Welcome to Different From The Other Kids, a weekly podcast for parents of challenging children with your host, Angela Sunis, author of the Amazon best-selling book, Different From The Other Kids. Each week, Angela interviews an individual or professional within the mental health community. Wanted to start off today with a publication called The Guardian. The title of the article is Two-Thirds of Parents Fear Child's Mental Illness a life sentence. And this is covered by a reporter named Dennis Campbell. He's the health policy editor of The Guardian. So I wanted to have a little conversation here about this before we got started with my interview with Elizabeth, because I really believe that this is how stigma really uh, can impact how our kids and how our families look at mental illness and it so doesn't have to be this way, but let, let's walk us through here a little bit uh, to what The Guardian has to say and what uh, Dennis Campbell has to say about this topic. So I'm going to read to you uh, the first little bit of it and then skip through um, to the positive part. <laughs> so let's start. Two-thirds of parents fear their son or daughter would be facing a life sentence if they developed a mental health problem in childhood, research shows. Many also worry that their child will not get a job, find a partner, or have a family as a result of their condition and might even be taken away from them. A survey of 2,061 adults, including 500 parents, found that 67% of parents believe their child may never recover from being diagnosed with mental illness. The findings have promoted new, renewed concern about how well-equipped children's and adolescent mental health services are to deal with the growing number of young people experiencing problems such as acute anxiety. It's heartbreaking that our research shows an overwhelming majority of parents would view their children being diagnosed with a mental illness as equating to a life sentence, not least when we know that mental illness is both treatable and preventable, said Cynthia Joyce, chief executive of MQ, Transforming Mental Health, a charity set up by the Wellcome Trust. Now, Nick Harup, the campaign's manager at the charity Young Minds, said, mental health problems at a young age do not need to be a life sentence, but it's crucial that children who are struggling receive support as early as possible. Child and adolescent mental health services can have extremely long waiting times in some areas, which means that too many young people reach crisis point before they get help, which is absolute. But please never think it's a life sentence. Nothing is a life sentence when it comes to mental health. There are lots of things that we can do. Uh, if you check out our last book, which was on uh, natural alternatives, you will find a lot of different things that you can chew on there as a parent, as a family, as somebody who suffers from uh, mental health challenges to uh, help it along and um, to help you live your best life. So let me move on here to our interview. Uh, very excited, very uh, appreciative uh, that Elizabeth has come forward today to talk about her daughter who has struggled with some mental health issues. It started as an ADHD, moved uh, pretty quickly into a little bit of pot and then moved into uh, a even uh, greater need for uh, self-medicating um, and got further involved in, in some drugs and uh, has had some challenges along the way. So um, I really appreciate when a parent comes forward uh, to help tell the story of her family 
if only so that we know that things these things do happen in other people's families and we don't need to feel ashamed about it and we certainly uh, don't have to hide it or feel like we are completely by ourselves. It's just not true. So Elizabeth, uh, take it away. Thank you so much for joining us. I know with my daughter, when she was younger, there were some telltale signs that there were some uh, problems uh, going on with her mental health or that she was a little bit different. Maybe Did, was your daughter ever presenting as different from when she was younger? Uh, she presented as different in a, in a really positive way. In fact, she was um, really, really high achieving. She was very popular uh, she was a great athlete. Uh, she's a great performer. She had actually more skills than the other kids. Uh, she got along great with the boys and the girls. She was hyper for sure. Um, had a lot of energy. Uh, maybe one of those kids that had trouble sitting still. And uh, we actually had her diagnosed not until grade nine or 10 with ADHD. Now the thing about ADHD with girls is they often fly under the radar in elementary school and they present with a lot of great skills. Um, and they're not lighting fires in the classroom and doing a lot of the things that the boys are doing. She did very well in school, so there was never a trigger as to any learning disability at all. She was an exceptional kid. She did a half marathon in grade nine. She just had an incredible precociousness about her, and it wasn't until high school hit when it took on a very different trajectory for mental health. Uh, so ADHD, um, I've learned, is the highest users of substances, specifically weed. So she started getting into using a lot of weed. Uh, now, coupling that with some family issues that were going on at the time, um, she got, I would say she developed an addiction to weed where there was a high amount of conflict in her home. Um, she got caught buying weed at school. She was suspended for that. She could not go to Africa as a result. It was a big school trip that she was going to go on. They, they thought they couldn't take the chance. So a lot of things started happening to her that were uh, bringing her in a completely different direction than she was used to going. So this was that kid that was a leader in a very positive way that all of a sudden was going downhill fast. Uh, we had a lot of conflict in our homes, and which resulted in her leaving home and qualified for social assistance uh, just before she turned 16. And she really got into a lot of very heavy drugs at that point. Uh, her schooling started to suffer. And uh, it was a very hard time. I honestly, um, thinking you might get a call saying that your kid's not alive is not a great feeling. Now, was there a catalyst that got this going? Do you think it was the conflict that was happening um, as you were dealing with things in, in your home? Is that what you think happened to... Because usually there's some kind of a trigger point that uh, kids um, feel as though they, they reach out to that... Um, uh, illegal substance to try and calm their brain or to try and get it to stop... Um, in, in the thought process that is happening, or they're just trying to numb? I think she probably, that was the reason for the weed. Um, but the actual, the reason that she left was literally after an argument. And it had gotten so highly conflictual. So a lot of things were being said, like, I'm going to leave. And, well, you know, you're going to be leaving anyways. And, you know, be careful what you say, because oftentimes it ends up happening. And I guess she'd had enough of the conflict between um, what was happening in my house and what was happening in her dad's house. We were both on her constantly. The weed was unbelievable. We'd wake up in the middle of the night. We'd smell weed coming from her bedroom. We'd see it in the bathroom. It was ridiculous. Um, it caused a high amount of conflict and she eventually left. It wasn't until she hit rock bottom and needed to, to go to really a rehab for youth, the Dave Smith Center, um, did she then come home. So it literally took her to reach rock bottom and have a lot of issues going on um, that she did 
return home. Okay, so when she was gone, she wasn't she wasn't just going to the other home. She wasn't going to your her dad's place. She actually left. Did she live with a friend or was she? She lived with a friend, uh, transiently couch hopped, I guess, for the first little while. And then she qualified for rent and was living, uh, basically, I'd say, in a, in a drug house. So basically, the landlords rented to anybody. It didn't matter to them. And um, it was a bunch of kids that would basically do drugs in the house. It was known to police. And uh, it was a very, very bad situation. And there's nothing we could do or say to her that would make her want to come home. Because at this point... She knew if she came home, she wouldn't be able to do the drugs. And she was a, um, a very, very heavy abuser of drugs. I was told by the center she did not qualify for the definition of addiction, which shocked me. Uh, now, they obviously have a scale that they use, and they did not say that she was an addict, that she showed uh, as an abuser of drugs. Wow. Okay, so up until this point, you've had a really high-functioning, high-achieving uh, young person. And then, I guess, through life circumstance, and I guess... Being in, being involved with kids. So, how old was she when this happened? This would have been was the transition into high school as well. Uh, she started smoking weed. In, not actually, not even early, really. Uh, not till probably the Christmas of grade nine. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then it just went from there. And she and oftentimes people with ADHD will say, you know, it doesn't make me feel high. It makes me feel calm. It stops the you know the chatter going on in my head. Initially, it does that, but I was told uh, by professionals that it comes back and bites them in the opposite way and that they develop very high anxiety, panic attacks. So what it used to do for them, it no longer does for them, and they have to have higher and higher doses, and it starts to do the opposite. Why do you think that got turned around? What made her want to go to the re- What made her rock? What was rock bottom? Um, after situations where she would be so high or uh, that she would be walking around town and getting in fights with people and I think she came to the realization that um, I have to do something. Uh, the one thing I did do, against my better judgment, but I'm glad I did it, is I kept in contact with her while she was out. So that was difficult for me in that I had a mother who never would have done that. And I had to really do the opposite as to what I probably was hardwired to do. Here was a kid who was saying, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to go do drugs. And uh, I love not living at home because I can do what I want. And yet I had to realize that this was an underlying mental health issue, that people who are mentally sound don't make decisions like this. Uh, and she did. Uh, it was very heart-wrenching for all of us. Um, and it was because I had a relationship with her that she called me when she hit rock bottom. Now, when she went into the rehab facility, I assume they do all different kinds of psych evaluations and things like that. Was there any more of a diagnosis at that point or did they... Uh, give you an idea of why this why this uh, disintegration would have happened or this unraveling? Uh, she did. She ended up in there and she was, they told me, a lot more high functioning than the other kids that were there. She uh, got an opportunity to do some schooling there and all she did and all she wanted to do was get a credit while she was there. So we got her set up. The teacher said, I've never seen anybody work so hard on this, but she's so goal-oriented that she's not getting out of this what she should. We're trying to teach them things like meditation time to slow down. She's not. She's doing the opposite to that. So she became so goal-oriented, that's all she cared about was getting this credit. Because she kept saying, I'm not staying in three months. I'm going to be out of here and I want this done. She lasts a week and she was home. So they did say, we, we think there could be an underlying disorder. Um, she had a lot of explosive outbursts with a lot of the girls. And because she's been raised differently, um, she would say things to the girls that would be very condescending. Like, what, what do you expect? You're pregnant at 19 on cocaine? Like, give me a break. So she saw yeah. herself as different, but actually was doing the same things as they were doing. Uh, she just had a more privileged life. 
Okay. So they didn't, so there isn't really a, now you guys know, uh, parents, um, this is not the be all and end all to me that somebody has a diagnosis. It just means that there is a treatment plan that, that parents can go to, even if it is on the internet to try and figure out how to best deal, cope and educate their children on, uh, how to live in the world. Um, so there wasn't really a solid other than the ADHD. There was that. We did take her to a psychiatrist once she returned home because the great thing about her going to the center is when she returned, she returned home. And that was great. So it was the impetus to get her home. Um, and we did bring her to a psychiatrist and she did diagnose her with something that's almost like a catch-all for mood, um, which is called a dysregulation mood disorder. And, um, we, you know, we went with that. She was put on an antidepressant at that time and we did keep her sober for the 30 days. We thought that would be helpful for her to clear her mind. Um, now, you know, she is back to smoking weed and to smoking cigarettes. However, she is not on hard drugs anymore. So she comes back home. Uh, she's only been a week in rehab. There really isn't a solid um, different diagnosis than what you have, which is... She um, was really in between a semester where they didn't want her back at school. Uh, so they were like, great, she's going away. That's awesome. Well, guess what? She's back in a week. Didn't go over to railroad school. However, I'm such an advocate that I said, okay, that course she was taking that she's gotten a lot done with, I'd like to get the homeschooling stuff done, which you can actually get done through the board. People are very unaware that you can really push to have that done. They have a right to be educated. And there are teachers that will work part-time and they can do the marking and they can meet with the kid, which is what I had done. To have that, you know, for lack of a better word, shit show happen during that semester, she didn't miss out on one credit. We, I, I pushed, I remember the principal at one time became very frustrated with me and said, you realize that I basically could say, no, she's not finishing these courses. And I said, and you know that I could pull up your mission and value statement and your philosophy on mental health and say that you're completely doing the opposite to what you say you're going to do. So I really hugely advocated for her. I was lucky enough that I reached out to the teachers she had starting in September and they were able to give me the work for her. And we basically, she was able to complete it at home that semester. She went back second semester in grade 11. It was tough for her because she hadn't been in that setting. She struggled a little bit. Um, but she, she got through it. And again, she didn't miss one credit. She is not a kid who has learning disabilities. Um, she is, she was high functioning. So you're taking a high functioning kid that went off the rails basically. Um, now she still suffers. Um, she's still smoking weed every day. And I worry about that. Um, there is times where she's kind of goes off the rails a little bit, but she seems to pull herself back. And I have to just accept that it is right now. That is her vice. She is not into hard drugs. Is she at risk for that in the future? I don't know. I really have no idea what her addiction pattern, if any, will happen in the future. Right. So is she still on an antidepressant? Does she find that that helps? Well, she's starting to second guess taking it. I don't want fake happiness, she's saying. Okay. So she's still, the fact that she is doing as well as she is, and she is on an antidepressant, usually should lead you to believe that that is a necessary uh, chemical balancer uh, to the fact that she's been successful. When she comes back into the house and she's getting back into school and stuff, when you say there was there was a bit of a hard time, how long would she have? So how long did that take to reintegrate so that they could trust her again a little bit? Well, I can honestly say that the schools are doing a pretty great job. Every single teacher in that school has mental health first aid training. Not everybody has that in every board. Right. So they are very, very open. They did welcome her back. And so they were amazing. And to be honest with you, the teachers that uh, her vocal teacher, for example, that um, would keep in touch and, you know, she would sing for him over a recorded iPod and 
I mean, my God, she ended up with a, a pretty good mark in that class. That's amazing. So when things started to even off for her, who presented themselves to you as your child? Was she the same child that she was before? She's uh, she's evolved. It's, she's continually getting better. So a lot of the outbursts she used to have in, in the three months she was home were uh, like to the point where we did want to call 911. Um, now they don't happen. So we're not afraid of her at all. She is more reasonable. She's more rational. Uh, and that could be the absence of the hard drugs. Uh, I'm really not too sure. Uh, she's maturing. She decided as a result of being at this center for a week that she wants to be a social worker and she wants to apply to Ryerson to be a social worker. As a parent, do you feel as though you kept a really tight line on her or did you have to parent? I know for myself, I had to actually relinquish, uh, put my gauntlet down a little bit and actually work with Christina in a way that was participatory for her. So I had to meet her on her own level and say, okay, so what are your goals and how do I help you to get there? Instead of what was happening before her diagnosis and before she was in the hospital was kind of a top-down management perspective. I feel like she's, you know, kind of running the show sometimes. Uh, but again, I, you know, I have to look at it differently. And she keeps saying to me, mom, I lived on my own for six months. Like, I can't believe you want me home by one o'clock. It's almost um, really harm reduction. But when she comes home high, yeah, I have a real problem with that. I really do. Um, and I'm constantly talking about how, what, what is it that you have? Why do you have to be high? What is so wrong with life that you have to be high? Um, you know, I just, I get tired of hearing myself talk. Do you think there's something there uh, that the um, psychological or uh, psychiatric um, medical part of the community could have helped you better with? I think she has an addictive personality. Okay. And I do think that she'll struggle with addiction. Uh, I do see that in her. Tell me how she's doing, because this is actually, I love periodically getting an amazing story. This is a great story. This is one that actually um, is more positive than negative. And unfortunately, when I'm uh, talking to people um, about their uh, children, there are a lot of um, stories that don't get any better. And in fact, they, they go quite in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to do um, a little bit of a brag of where she, now we know where she's been, What's she doing now and where you see her going? She has a 90 average right now, in a fully academic. She is working really, really hard. She is also a hostess. Um, now, you know, is she working out as much as I'd like her to be to do those things like, you know, boost endorphins and things? No, she's not. Uh, but I have also had to um, just be happy with what she is doing as opposed to looking at what she's not doing. Um, so right now I sort of have to be her advocate and say, way to go. Um, like you said, how can I help you get to where you need to go? Okay, well, thank you. Now, is there one last thing? Is there anything, like if you could talk to a parent who's just embarking upon this now, that kid has fallen off the rails, if you had something to say to them, what do you think you might say? Um, stick with it. The people that I held the most hope in were the stories that people would say, my daughter was prostituting herself at 16 for drugs, and now she's happily married with children. And those are the stories that just keep you there. And that you need to have some level of hope. And I think at the end of the day, the story has to be that my mom or, or dad never gave up on me. That makes all of the difference in the world and could maybe be the only thing. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Different from the Other Kids, made possible with the support of My Mind Fitness, a holistic approach to a fit and healthy mind. You can find them online at www.mymindfitness.com Music and editing is a product of Among the Crowd Productions. You can hear more at www.amongthecrowd.ca We'll see you next week. 
And now a disclaimer. In general, I, Angela Sunis, am not a doctor, and I certainly don't play one on the internet. I'm a parent, period. The advice from me presented on different from the other kids does not replace advice received directly from a medical health professional. If you think you need help, I do recommend making an appointment with your physician or other appropriate health care provider.